The Tea Health Show, medical lifestyle show. This is the Tea Health Show with Chris Haven Smith and Dr. Mark. The Tea Health Show is sponsored by the Tea Clinic, where all your sexual and other needs are sorted. In studio, we have Dr. Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey, so Chris. How are you? I'm always good. It's so good to be with you. And I'm really excited about today's topic. Seeing that we in what is the worst of the COVID waves we've had so far, um, and there's so much fear, anxiety around it, and um, I thought it prudent to bring in someone who specializes in, in helping people with COVID. And that's Dr. Anton Janssen von Rensburg. Anton, you've been on the show before. Good day. How are you? Hey, Dr. Mark. Good to be here. Hey, Chris. Thanks nice for having to me. see you. It's always good to have you back. It's, it's <laughs> always you. such fun <laughs> studio with you. So, Anton, the last time we had you, we spoke about cannabis um, and the uses of medical cannabis and what medical cannabis is. Today, we're actually talking about something, I think, much more serious. Um, ivermectin. Um, I think everyone has heard the name or the word and associated with why couldn't we get hold of it, um, associated with vets, associated with COVID. So well, let's I mean, start and there. And associated with some people saying it's absolutely ridiculous and it can't work and other people saying it's the best thing and why aren't we all on it? So, so I mean, there's that dichotomy, which is so amazing Confusion. as well. Yeah. Well, this is why we're having this conversation today. Um, we are in the third wave. As medical practitioners, um, you and I are, I think, more privy and more savvy to exactly what is happening out there and how bad it really is. Um, let's start there. What is your experience of COVID third wave? No, no, this definitely is uh, our worst wave, um, just just from a, a new new patient everyday perspective um, on my side. Um, I'm a, a frontline practitioner. I see COVID patients, although seeing a COVID patient is completely different to how it was in the past. Now it's on my phone. All these patients are in their homes and we're doing video um, calls. We are doing my patients check in with me three times a day. Um, but I've, this is the most patients that I've ever had to treat in such a short period of time. Um, and also new patients coming, you know, coming on. So, I mean, today is the 5th of July and it just feels to me that we still, I'm still getting new patients, new infections. So, um, we can we can see that we we see that the numbers are rising every day, um, but the numbers are confusing um, and misleading. The numbers that we see are people that actually went to test, yes. and we know that this is only a fraction of the people that actually get infected with COVID. Um, these are not the, not everyone that gets infected. So when we see 26 new thousand mm -hmm. cases per day um, going to our rural areas or our townships, our informal settlements, if we add those cases, 
we're looking at much closer to, in my opinion, 100,000 cases per day. Yep. No, I tend to agree with that. And at also, least. Yep. We've known that, uh, we, we've also known with COVID that, um, it is, it is a, a fast spreading virus. And we've now seen, um, from the studies uh, published by the, the world famous, uh, epidemiologist, uh, Dr. or Professor John Ioannidis, that it has a very low infection fatality rate, but it's got a very high infection rate. I mean, mm. a lot of people get COVID. But yet it seems as if a severity of the current variant is worse. It's difficult to comment. We'll have to see when we're done, when we're through the wave, exactly how many deaths we are looking at. Um to then make a, an informed decision, what exactly? Because how to make infection fatality rate decisions is you look at how many people actually had it, and, and, and obviously already you've not just described how that sum is going to be compromised because we actually we actually don't know how many people in total had it. But it, it's a super spreader type virus, so lots of people get it, and now we are seeing deaths. And to actually know what your true infection fatality rate. Is or was how many people actually had it versus how many people eventually died from it? Difficult, difficult to get to that final sum. Chris, you are um, on the town council on Joburg City Council yeah. as um, a councillor. What are you guys seeing coming through the health systems? Um, Sure. Look, I, I mean, that's really difficult. What we are seeing just in caucuses, for example, the mayor of Johannesburg and the mayor of Chwani are now both COVID positive um, in the last couple of days, you know, which, which is, which is crazy. We start, we're starting to see it. We, we're seeing a, a lot more deaths. And I'm just talking from quite a closed system, but mm. what, going into, into our constituencies, it's becoming Far, far more prevalent, and 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 this wave, uh, especially with the Delta variant, has has um, it really impacted on those communities a hell of a lot more. And we're seeing a lot of people that are ill, really, really ill, but not per se passing away. It was interesting. More than a month ago, um, one of my patients um, mentioned. To me, that the Jewish ambulance services, Hadzola, Hadzola, um, reported way before, um, I think at that point in time, we were at about two or three thousand cases per day, that Hadzola had already started surpassing the daily call-outs. Mm. And this was before there was mention no, absolutely. of, of no, um, an increase or a third wave. This was when the third wave was still denied. Yeah, that was far before the peak. Yeah. So um, I agree with you, Anton. We, aren't, we haven't seen the peak yet. I think no. we're about two to three weeks away from that. That is if the restrictions that have been imposed um, have any effect. And uh, well, as a matter of fact, it was very interesting. My observation last this week, yeah, this week, Monday, when I got to the office was 
My God, there's no parking. Because so many Why people is everyone there? out if, if only they realize how serious this is? Um, people will lock themselves. They will put themselves into a level five lockdown. Well, well, actually, I mean, my, my contention is that it was too little too late, this latest lockdown. I agree. We actually should have gone into a very heavy th- um, three week period of Level five lockdown, full on level five. I know the economy is, is shot, but actually this, this is a, a real, real health, health crisis. Um, and we, we have to take, take it by the balls literally and, and sort it out. My opinion is I would have instituted travel restrictions. Oh, absolutely. Interprovincial travel restrictions a couple of weeks ago. Well, I mean, th- just this last weekend, travel restrictions, you're only supposed to travel for business, so to speak. But thousands of people went, traveled cross-border to um, Nkandla, into KZN. And there was a super spreader event in KZN around Nkandla where nobody was wearing masks, thousands of people standing there. And all those people are then going to go back into their communities and – you know, it's 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 a health nightmare just waiting to happen. It's a health nightmare that will will happen. Not waiting to happen. That will happen. Mark, should we let our should we let our guest have a chat here at all today? Sorry, oh. Anton, we've gone on a diatribe. Um, Anton seems bored. <laughs> no, I'm not bored. Um, Anton, we asked you to come and speak about ivermectin. It's something that is quite controversial in um, not only the medical fraternity, but I think in the population's minds. We know that this is something that's been around for a while. Just give us a little bit of background into ivermectin before we get to why we use it for COVID. Just tell us okay. what it is. Yeah. So ivermectin uh, was, was discovered by, by two scientists um, in the 70s, and, um, and they subsequently have received the Nobel Prize for Medicine for this invention. Sure. Um, and uh, it's been in use for 40 years, and in 40 years we've been able to gather data about this substance. So it was initially developed for humans. Let me just say that because a lot of South Africans, because we, you, you only see, you only hear of the, the fluid, the veterinary fluid that people have on the farms and their friends have, all our little towns. People, every second person now has ivermectin fluid. Um, so it was developed for humans to treat certain parasitic infections, particularly um, onchocerciasis, which causes river blindness. It's one, one yes. of many parasites that it kills. It was developed, I'll say this again, for humans. It was later on, it was adapted for animals. It's not, it's not something that is wide or was ever widely used in South Africa, but it was very widely used or is very widely used in sub-Saharan Africa as well as uh, as in our tropical belts. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So the, the World Health Organization um, saw that this could be an easy way to deal with a serious condition, um, the condition of river, river blindness. So basically what they did was they just took truckloads of this stuff. So let me just say this. It's on the essential medicines list of the World Health Organization. So that says something. Um, and they then went ahead and truckloads of ivermectin was taken into all these countries 
and they've basically solved the river blindness problem. It's one of, you know, it's one of the good things that the World Health Organization got right here. They, mm. they actually solved so many problems, um, but also it gave us data and particularly it gave us safety data. So if you just imagine the amount of dosages that we are talking about here, 40 years, truckloads going into Africa and, like you said, tropical belt countries. We're talking about a billion-plus doses down the line to the extent that with that level of dosing and also uncontrolled dosing at times, because, I mean, some of those boxes have fallen off trucks and people have overdosed <laughs> and people have tried to commit suicide. Some interesting stories about that it's, with ivermectin. It's very interesting that you, you mentioned that. I looked at some data. Um, there is no fatalities ever reported linked yep. To an overdose of ivermectin. Toxicity, yes. No mm. fatality. Yeah, well, okay. there's, there's one fatality. I'll, I'll tell you about the one. It was a person who, person who wanted to commit suicide and uh, took warfarin, firstly. Ah, so the person okay. took warfarin or rat poison. And then instead of the twin, 20 milligram dosage of ivermectin, so it's 20, took 6,600 milligrams of ivermectin with his overdose of warfarin and was successful Great. in killing himself. Yeah, but you know what? He would have killed himself with the warfarin. Correct, um, what, yes. What the ivermectin did um, was increase the serum levels of That's the warfarin. That's all. But, but, um, it, but you needed 6,600 milligrams. He obviously was the guy who found the box that fell off the World Health Organization truck. And, and, and thought and, that um, and, it's a good thing and to have a party. That's exactly it. I mean, other people have tried it, and it's, it's a horrible choice for a suicide drug because we have such solid safety data. It's, in my opinion, it's, it's safer than average aspirin. It's safer than paracetamol. It's easier, and I don't want to give people tips and hints now about how to do it, but it's technically easier to commit suicide with normal um, uh, garden variety paracetamol that you can buy mm. um, at your petrol uh, garage late at night. Um, the point is just so from a safety perspective and for repurposing, because we use the term repurposing, so we've got this this drug that we're now using for parasites, but through the years we, we saw that we can repurpose it for other um, things. And one of those conditions or conditions, as, as the plural is important here, is viral infections, a variety of viral infections actually that you can treat it with. So it's not just COVID, it's colds, it's flu. Many of my patients are now have ivermectin in the home to apply it for viral infections. And this is now where things get very interesting because here we are in the COVID um, era now. And um, we've, we now, now, now people ask me, but, you know, do we have data to support the use of ivermectin? And so let's, let's stop there because I want to ask you a question. I think I heard um, about ivermectin the first time when one of the Australian doctors started um, treating patients. And then I think he did something on YouTube. Yes, or, I saw, uh, that. I saw um, that. And this was in the beginning of a year. Um, how did... Why did they do that? We, we obviously knew um, that it, it's effective against certain viruses, um, 
but again, in South Africa, where it's not widely used or not used at all um, for humans, it's only used in animals. We didn't know about this. That's right. As practitioners, that's right, yeah. a medical practitioner, I never heard of ivermectin. No, that's right. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it had to burst onto the scene in South Africa because for some – and the reason to me is still unknown – um, that our uh, regulatory authority decided that this is just a veterinary medicine and you can't get it in, in South Africa. And it's a Schedule 3. It's a low schedule medicine. But but I think in the countries where people constantly have to deal with parasites, mm. so so you'll see a lot of the research that came out on COVID was, was they started saying, but hang on a minute, we're treating this person for a parasite at the moment and he's getting COVID and something's going on here. Because this guy is doing better than all his family members or his friends or the peers, and they st- and that's where um, the the link was 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 made, and that's where the research then just started exploding to the point that we now have sixty one studies, sixty one of w- of which thirty two are randomized control trials. Okay, so sure. explain this to people because um, doing studies and is easy. The problem comes in interpreting a study. Mm. So help me if I'm wrong. If I'm going to do a study about um, a certain product, firstly, we form a hypothesis. And we then have to prove or disprove this hypothesis. That's right. That's what a study is about. Mm. So the hypothesis would be, Ivermectin works in decreasing the severity of COVID. That's my hypothesis. So immediately you go in with a bias. And there's certain formulas that we use and very complicated statistics, which I keep on failing. Um, <laughs> I have to be honest, when I did, when I, when I specialized, one of, one of our subjects was, um, Statistics, medical statistics and how to interpret studies, N values and P values. And, um, you can't just look at the study because if it's not a randomized control study with a large enough population, it's not a proper study. So the studies that have been made, you mentioned 38. How big were they? Right. So… I don't know them off by heart. Um, Why I'll, not, Anton? You came. Oh, sorry, you knew man. you were coming here sorry, today. Man. I mean, sorry. honestly. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give uh, the name of a website, um, IVM, <laughs> IVM um, Meta, uh, IVM Meta. People can go and have a, a joyous ride into um, the, the the studies on that website. The point is just with randomization and controls. The control means that there were people in the studies that did not receive um, ivermectin. They received a placebo. They received a placebo or, you know, it was Sugar structured, yeah, it was structured in such a way that they didn't, you know, receive the ivermectin and they were then compared to each other. People will also notice when they go to IVM Meta that many of those studies specifically look at prophylaxis as well. And, and I hope mm. we're going to talk about prophylaxis today. Well, we, Be- we're going to get there because yeah. Um, now is the time to act. Um, yes, but that's it. Yeah. So, we'll so, back. so also randomized control trials, meaning 
you know, taking a random sample from the population. So you're not cherry picking, you know, you're not, not, not going and you find, and, and, and also, I mean, a lot of researchers in this world, especially when they, when they start making money out of their research, they cherry pick, meaning. Oh, absolutely. You, you take, That's why it's only, biased. It's biased. That's you only take like young people that, that may not uh, die that easily. And you say, Oh, look, 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 they did better. Athletes so, with, with big lungs or something like that. But the point's just so, um, so randomized population, um, there are controls. And, and then what's, what's very important now for me is are the people that then took this and, and people that I'm in contact with or that I follow are people like Professor Paul Murick, pulmonologist, well-known, world-renowned mm, pulmonologist yes. from East Virginia um, Hospital in the U.S. Him and his intensivist, uh, he's a specialist intensivist, uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, they then wrote a review. They then took, did a full analysis of the 32 randomized controlled trials. So it's trials. basically a consensus paper that they wrote. They wrote but, but not just them. There's another one. So they wrote a consensus paper, and I've been spending time um, via email, and I actually b- did an interview together with uh, Professor Paul Marek where they, they produced this consensus paper, and I looked at this and said, we have to act on this because we have enough evidence here now on a safe, cheap, um, drug, the safety is very important here, and we can roll this out. And I'm literally, I've been doing drug interactions with my patients. I've got very sick people, chronically ill, with lists of medicines as long as my arm. And they are doing, they are flying on the ivermectin. But let me just stick to my story now. So Professor Paul Murray, Dr. Pierre Curry, they've got a whole group of specialists that then produce the consensus paper, a, a review. Okay. So a consensus paper is we take the data from the studies that were done, and by analyzing that data, you yes. get an unbiased um, yes. opinion that's about it. all the studies that was done on one subject. That's it. And, that's, and I send doctors to their consensus paper, but I also send doctors that, that phone me, and I get a lot of phone calls from doctors who want to do better for their patients. I send them to Professor Peter McCullough. Now, Professor Peter McCullough is an interesting man. He's a cardiologist, professor at a medical school in the U.S., but in the field of cardiology and nephrology, kidneys, he is the most published doctor, peer-reviewed academic um, articles that he's published in the history. So this is a world-renowned, he's the expert, absolute expert in his field. And early on, uh, more or less, I think, let's say early on, same timing as Professor Paul Murray, he also wrote about ivermectin. So if, if the doctors, hopefully there are doctors listening to this, if you want to just go and shorten your journey in the ivermectin reading, read the FLCCC, that's Professor Paul Murray, FLCCC.net, read their consensus review and go and read about P, uh, Professor Peter McCullough. In Afrikaans we'll say McCullough, but it's McCullough. <laughs> and read what he says about it. And these are some of the world's best pulmonologists and specialist physicians that are talking about this, but are also, they're doing something else. They are complaining about the two things, about censorship, how they are being removed off all the social media platforms when they talk about it. And I can attest to the same thing. I'm here this morning. Another one of my videos was removed from YouTube. And, but they, but they also, um, they're talking about the censorship, but they're also talking about a disinformation campaign. Because, I mean, you mentioned this in the beginning. Why is there controversy? Mm. Because there's an active. So on the FLCCC.net, there is a letter that they wrote about what they've discovered in this active disinformation campaign against ivermectin. So we can, 
let's touch on that. Um, we know Big Pharma, together with oil and energy, is probably the biggest players in politics. Why? Because the amount of money that is produced and made by registering, formulating new medication is vast. Um, by 10 years after a, a, a new product has been on the market, its profitability plummets. Why? Because the patents expired, and now it's cheap and easy to manufacture. The bottom line for Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna is incalculable. Firstly, none of them developed their vaccines with their own money. All of them were funded. So all the research that they did, the research and development, cost them nothing. They're producing and selling mm. this to governments, um, which means it's 100% pure profit. Yeah. Um, ivermectin, been on the market for 40 years. It's incredibly cheap and affordable. Everyone can have access to it. Um, and if there's anything that won't cost governments a lot of money, uh, it's ivermectin. But the ph pharmaceutical company stands to gain zero from this. And that's yeah. what, what we're seeing. That's why these people are being censored. But is, is, is it a, a either-or situation or is it a, a combined therapy? I mean, you vaccinate and you use ivermectin. In my opinion, I, I, Chris, uh, I, uh, I don't know whether you will agree. I stayed away from the vaccination on ethical grounds um, because of what I just said. Mm. Pfizer is making money mm. out of other people's suffering um, by mm. selling their vaccination um, at exorbitant prices to governments, and it didn't cost them anything to develop. Um, and then our producer ended up um, in ICU, and I started seeing more and more people around me. Um, I have a full complement of staff, and um, I realized that if anything happens with any of my staff members um, – and especially with me, the other people in the office will go hungry mm. because when we close down and don't see patients, there's no passive income. I don't get sick leave. Um, I have no income. Neither does the people in my office. So I started taking ivermectin as something that would help me better my odds at mm. um, 
staying out mm. of a hospital or dying. Mm. Um, and I think that is where we are at. Um, anything that is not going to do me harm is better than nothing. Sure. That's what you see. I think the issue is safety. And, and, and this is uh, Professor Peter McCullough. Um, in his talks and, and people can go and research him, he says he's also about the safety. Safety, safety. We have to talk about the safety. And that's why, because I have so much safety with ivermectin, if my patients ask me my advice, I say, we're going to go big with ivermectin. Not just that. We have so much research on the application of zinc, vitamin D, and, you know, other nutrients while you are sick. And that's why doctors like myself and my colleagues who have been treating with ivermectin for quite a while now, our patients get through this illness. And I say this so carefully and with so much reverence for the, 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 the hectic times that we are in and have been through, but our patients are surviving. Is it still a dangerous virus? Of course it is. Is it tough to get through it? Of course Very. it is. <clears throat> of course it is. I've got previously vaccinated patients at the moment with severe COVID. Yeah. We are seeing more and more breakthrough infections. Yeah. So, so I don't discriminate with any of my patients. If you've never been vaccinated or not, you are going to get the same type of treatment. I'm going to treat you with ivermectin high dose, and my patients don't have side effects. And I've now treated quite a few people. I've got quite a big audience of patients that are on prophylactic ivermectin. Even And all of them are still – they still get – Sick, some of them quite severely. It's still, and this is maybe something the listeners need to realize that this is, this is a difficult illness to get through, yes. but you want to get through alive. So yes, you will still be sick for two weeks. Some of my patients are like a day 10. They say, doc, I thought the ivermectin was going to, I said, no, no, hang on, but you, you, we, we you're treat, alive. I'm, I'm, you're alive. You're speaking to me at the moment. Many, mm. many of your counterparts who did nothing, who followed, followed the initial CDC's approach in the U.S. of go home when you have COVID and wait till you turn blue. And then call the ambulance, which I have serious issues with, that that type of advice can be given to people. Um, so we're not doing that. Those, those patients die. Day 9, day 10, day 11, mm. they, they die. They, they put on ventilators for nothing because by then their lungs are oh, just shot. so gone. And, and so the point is just my, my patients, even though they get some of them severely ill, even though some of them need intravenous cortisone for two days or three days in a hospital ward, Day 14 to 17, they go home after that. Yeah. The referrals to that hospital are gentler, if yeah. I can put for lack of a better term. I, I will tell you my experience um, when treating patients with ivermectin. Um, let's, let's refer to Dante again. Um, when Dante tested positive, I gave him ivermectin. And for some Silly reason he didn't take it. And he was okay. He actually was doing fine. And within 12 hours, yeah. he decompensated. But that's, but that's the problem with this. Yeah. It's so and quick when you go. It, it happened overnight. It. And the first thing I said to him, are you taking your ivermectin? And he said, no, he'll take it now. And he did. And he called me back the next day. And he said to me, I think this saved my life. Mm -hmm. um, I had a patient who ha was admitted to, to hospital with COVID and she was released. And it's uh, true what you are saying. Um, she was released after two or three days. And like so many other patients, she had a severe setback again. 
And I said to her, Corinne, are you taking ivermectin? Um, no. And same thing. You know, I spoke with you, mm-hmm. Anton. No, we spoke about it, and so. I drove through at seven o'clock at night time to her house, gave her ivermectin, called her the next day, and she said to me, Thank you. I think I'm not dying anymore. Mm, that's amazing. So, that's um, amazing. is this a substitute for treatment uh, and hospitalization? Absolutely not. But it does swing the odds slightly more back to you. Absolutely. No, and absolutely. that's what's important. <laughs> yeah. So the point is just our patients, most of my patients are at home. Most of them don't need oxygen. Um, those that need oxygen, we rent them an uh, oxygen concentrator and we treat them at home till their lungs can take back its own Control. job. And yes, then I've got one or two patients that eventually, and, and I monitor them, I monitor them. I, I test their blood every second or third, I test their bloods. And then I say to them, you know what, your saturation and your bloods are moving in the wrong direction. Let's do that high dose quarters and that can only be done under supervision in a hospital ward. Three days, maybe four days later, they get discharged, they go home. But here's the issue, and you, you, you said it's a nice remark, is that people who are listening to this, uh, this recording, you must act early. Don't wait till you test positive mm. to start your first dose of ivermectin. If you get symptoms of something now, yes, it could be a cold, yes, it could be a flu, you're going to whack that as well. Start your treatment dose of ivermectin of 0.4 milligrams per kilogram per day. You can do the little... Do the sum. If you're 100 kilograms, that's 40 milligrams of ivermectin. Take it with a meal. It's easy to just remember to take stuff with a meal. But act. Act immediately because you've got six days to whack the virus. Now, ivermectin is all stages of disease help because it's also an anti-inflammatory. So you can give it. That's why Dante responded even though he dropped the ball a little bit early on. But if you want to really nail this virus, do a good dose daily in the first six days and then continue for another four or five days. It's not a problem, but act immediately. Yes, maybe you test three days later and it was a cold. So what? Poor cold virus got whacked by ivermectin. Then you can stop. Then you go so, back. But I mean, I'm, to me, this is, this is like going into winter. We, I always up my vitamin C dosage, dosages That's and stuff right. like that. I, I know. Sorry. But I interject, but I know where you're going. Surely we should all be on it, is what you were going to say. Well, yes. I mean, if. Okay. So, very interesting. It's not part of hospital protocol. Patients that come in on ivermectin, uh, 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 sorry, patients that come in with COVID, ivermectin is not part of the treatment mm. protocol. Yeah. So when you speak to practitioners in private practice like Anton and myself, we it's part of my protocol. It's it's the it's a cornerstone mm-hmm. of my my prevention or prophylactic as well as treatment protocol. But it's not part of state or hospital treatment protocols right but the question is why but the law didn't allow it up until relatively recently you weren't allowed so, to prescribe it for yeah. a, for a, lo- a long time into this. the law currently states that ivermectin is 
in is registered as a drug that was used in animals. The compound, the active ingredient of ivermectin is registered. You cannot prescribe it or put it into the same formula or at the same strength as the registered from um, veterinary product. Therefore, it can be legally compounded by compounding pharmacies, and I think there's only six in the country, um, in a different strength and different formulation. Same ingredient. That's the current law. And doctors can prescribe it? And any pharmacy, any pharmacy can order ivermectin from the competition. So literally any pharmacy in South Africa can order themselves stock of ivermectin. So if a patient. From a compounding yes, pharmacy. That's right. So the patient walks in the, with, with. Prescription. And, and, and hopefully some pharmacists are listening to this recording. Get, get it in your, um, your practice so that patients can be serviced. And it's a schedule three. It's a, a, such a low schedule. And, 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 and like you just said now, Mark, so the hospitals are refusing. Many, most of the hospitals that I know of are refusing. And I'm hearing of my, 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 my doctor colleagues refusing to give scripts. And, and, and I've heard all kinds of stories that, and I think doctors have been in the line of fire as well with this because the, there's a rumor that their medical um, insurance will not cover them if they re- uh, prescribe a repurposed drug, which is completely false. Let me just categorically state that. I actually phoned my insurer, my medical insurer, and I asked them. I wrote them a letter, and they actually wrote back a formal letter telling me and giving me a guarantee that if something happens to one of my patients when I prescribe ivermectin, they will fully cover me. So it's a malicious rumor that someone spread. And so doctors are now scared. And then there are doctors that just refuse because they heard right. something from somewhere. And I, and I don't understand that. Um, I have and I take issue, severe issue, with colleagues that are no longer passionate about medicine. Um, thank God I don't know who... My colleague was that treated Dante on the Wednesday and said to him, if you're still feeling bad after four days, come back and we'll do a COVID test. Um, that same day when I tested him, um, he tested positive and two days later he was in ICU. And this was a colleague that um, is lazy in medicine. If, if you do not... Um, if you're no longer interested, stop practicing, but don't practice bad medicine. Mm. 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 I, I mean, you know, in any epidemic, there's, there's doctors have to play catch up. And I'm, I'm being a bit of an advocate for a lot we're of… We're building this plane as we're flying it. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And given that work, working so hard, the research, the type of research that you have to do is really, really difficult to, to, to my mind and the amount yeah. of reading you have to do and you don't have the time or often the inclination because you're just too tired. So, I mean, we saw this during the HIV, beginning of the HIV epidemic, exactly the same, exactly the same, uh, scenario going, going on. Uh, when AZT first came out, people were saying, are you mad? And others were saying it's the wonder drug and all of the, you know, and until mm. we worked mm. out what dosages to give, we were killing people with AZT. I remember those days. And mm. I mean, it was just quite funny that you said, you said this. I mean, 
EZT had been around since the early 60s. Um, so all the R&D and et cetera, et cetera, had been done on, done on it. It was just also a repurposed drug. And that became the savior for HIV and AIDS in the beginning. I, you know, I, I have, don't know if you've ever had a needle stick injury. Um, when I, I was, when I was specializing, um, it's a great way to lose weight. <laughs> I can tell you that. It's horrible, but that, that prophylactic. Oh, okay. Anton, we know that. We can legally get um, ivermectin. If I'm interested as a patient, what do I do? So, firstly, find a doctor who listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I don't know what we're going to do, how I'm going to convince my colleagues that the research is so clear. I mean, they, they just need to read the Marek, Corey, McCullough reports on, on ivermectin. But phone, phone, first phone a few doctors' practices and find a doctor who will prescribe it for you and start prophylactically. If you're over 35 years of age or any age and you are very overweight and you've got diabetes, hypertension, comorbid conditions, start a weekly dose of ivermectin. Let your doctor prescribe it for you. There's a lot of resources that, that gives people the guidance on how to do it. But the dose is 0.2 milligrams per kilogram that you take on the first day, then 48 hours later, then weekly. That is it. You take it with all your vitamins with a meal. It's the easiest way to, 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 to just do it. Get a doctor that will prescribe this for you. And also, then you know that if the doctor is willing to prescribe it, then hopefully the doctor has been just reading some treatment protocols that he can initiate when you are ill. Mm. Because it's literally just a double dose. You just double that dose that you were taking weekly. When you know, And you do it daily. And you do it daily. You do it with a meal. And you do that with your increased dose of zinc, increased dose of vitamin D. Some people take um, zinc ionophores or it's, it's, it's products that drive zinc into the cells. And that's things like quercetin and it's also ironically things like hydroxychloroquine. And that's actually where hydroxychloroquine maybe got into the scene because it's a powerful oh. zinc ionophore. But we're not going to go down Red that rabbit, <laughs> we're not going to go down that rabbit hole now because uh. hydroxychloroquine is not, it's not like ivermectin. It's one of the sideline helpers with zinc. It's not the kingpin like ivermectin that has five mechanisms how it helps with COVID in a human being. So just find, phone around, find a doctor, phone your pharmacy now, your favorite pharmacy, and tell the pharmacist that if he wants your business and all your cousins and brothers and friends, he will, he will get, he will order ivermectin from it. one of the compounding that's pharmacies. It. Just do it. And all you as a patient need to do is get a prescription um, from a medical practitioner. That's it. There's a lot of us that are prescribing it. There's a lot of us that are doing um, telephonic consultations. Mm. Uh, I've done six or seven this morning. Um, it's it's what's taking up most of my day yep, at the me. moment is just people um, consulting about ivermectin. Um, Anton, Safety and interaction with other drugs. Okay, very good question. So the only drug that I'm rather careful with is warfarin. It's a blood thinner, but it's not absolutely contraindicated. Patients so, on Zerolta? No, not at all. Okay. Not a, not a contraindication. Because you take half a tab- tablet of aspirin every day? You should. No, 
You should, yeah. Um, especially now in these times, not an interaction whatsoever. So I use two websites, um, where I go and look at interactions. The one is Medscape. The other one's drugs.com. Um, on the drugs.com one, they, they show you all the minor interactions. The list gets quite a bit long. The it's, Medscape. It's extensive. It's extensive, but it's, it's minor. You see, this is the thing. That's why it's dangerous if you don't understand medicine yeah. to go and look mm. there because now you're going to find these interactions that mean nothing. Um, so it's actually 20 pages. I, I yes, printed it. There earlier. we go. There we go. So what I do is, is I just run my patients drugs that they're on through the interaction check. And I, I've still have to find the patient that is on enough drugs that contraindicates with ivermectin. The warfarin patients, all we do is we give them a small dose and we do their INR blood tests and then we give them a small dose. And then the next day we just test the INR again to see how they are reacting to it. So it's not an absolute Contraindication, but you have to keep your doctor close here. This is now just be careful. Do this with your doctor. Well, you should do anything like this with your doctor. Mm. Um, When you're talking about INR that that elevates, it means that you know you you don't clot well. Mm. So that's the point. So 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 the ivermectin could potentially boost the effect of the warfarin. So your bleeding risk will will potentially increase. I'm saying potentially because it's not necessarily going to happen at such a low dose. Because we're talking about the average person here is going to take 15 milligrams of ivermectin once a week as a prophylactic. And uh, so so just do this. Do the INR. It's an international normalized ratio. It just shows you how um, easy your, your blood your blood is going to clot and just check that but so far i have not found a single patient who could not take ivermectin and i have not found a single patient who had an adverse event i i want to just ask that stop being scared of mentioning that you you are taking ivermectin if you are taking it prophylactically yes. and you need to Go into hospital or you need to consult your practitioner. Tell them um, this because there are interactions and it doesn't change um, drastically the way that we will act or treat, but it does make us aware of considering dosing slightly differently. That's right. So, you know, this, you are not taking something that's illegal. Tell your doctor that, you know, I'm either taking a treatment dose uh, or I'm taking it weekly, et cetera, et cetera. Safety in uh, pregnancy and lactation. Okay, so don't take it in pregnancy. Don't take it while you're breastfeeding. And another very common question is, do I give it to my children? And the first answer to that is children don't die from coronavirus. It's mm. your, your child's chance of dying from a normal flu is higher than dying from coronavirus. The, the child's innate immune system absolutely demolishes this virus. But if you are concerned about your child specifically, then they must be over two years of age and they must weigh more than 15 kilograms. And they can't recently have had encephalitis or meningitis. Um, so the, 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 literally those are the only things that you need to be concerned about. But honestly, all the children that I've now seen that have had COVID – their parents give them a little bit more zinc, a little bit of vitamin D, some vitamin C, you know, nutrients, and they fly through it. My mm. own, when I had COVID, my own, I was three kids, and one of my kids developed a fever for one night. And the next morning, she was ready to take on the world. I was, I felt like I was dying. Um, and that was the full extent of my children's experience, experience of COVID. Um, let's talk about 
ivermectin and COVID protocols. We should all be regardless on vitamin C, but for correct amount of vitamin C. Um, 2,000 milligrams per day at least when we do test positive for COVID, we go up to 6,000 milligrams, sure, 6 really. grams per day. It's very difficult to take this in a, pal, uh, in, in a tablet Tablet-y. form. Yeah, it's very difficult. So um, mm. there are vitamin C Bombs. powders um, available. Right. Yeah. Um, I give it to all my patients right. uh, when I give ivermectin. I give him a vitamin C powder. Zinc. Um, now, zinc's very interesting because you can – you can create toxicity with zinc, um, uh, Anton. Just your dose of zinc that that you would tell people to no. go so, on. So, the zinc over the long term, if you take more than fifty milligrams a day over the long term, you can have a copper deficiency that you cause. So, so fifty milligrams sort of the cutoff. But while you're sick. You can easily take 100 to 200 milligrams of zinc a day for two weeks or three weeks. It's going to do absolutely nothing. But zinc for me is the kingpin mineral when it comes to COVID because it actually blocks the, the virus from entering cells. And when the virus is already in the cell, it hurts the virus in the cell. So my patients take minimum 100 milligrams of zinc per day. But careful now, you take it with food. You'll mention I'm constantly saying with food, with food, so that you don't get nauseous. Because yeah. zinc can cause nausea on an empty stomach. stomach. So just take it with food. I, I get my zinc or my supplementation that I use in my practice um, comes from one of the compounding pharmacies. And this one we've had Divya Naidu on show with us, um, the compounding pharmacy mm. of South Africa. Um, and I compound my zinc with selenium and copper. Yeah, I mean, I take that daily. So yeah. then um, – Let's, let's add to that vitamin D. So everyone knows about vitamin D. Um, a dose of vitamin D. So that's the other rock star. So zinc and vitamin D are the, probably the two biggest rock stars. Um, and then just, just below that is the vitamin C. So vitamin D, um, I like to test people's blood on an annual basis, but during COVID, take minimum 5,000 units. I'm going to say that again, 5,000 units per day. It's very difficult, COVID. Anton, to find 5,000 units. So um, the moment that we go over, um, I think it's a 1,000 um, yeah. international units, it becomes a scheduled product. So your GP can prescribe it to you. That's right. Also um, compound pharmacy. It's, it's available in the form of calciferol at, at most pharmacies, but you know what? It's, it's a prescription. Um, and I just, I just want to jump in because you, 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 these amounts you're giving now, and I'm just going to reiterate it, is for when you're COVID positive. Oh, this is a three-week period. Yep. This, is, this is how you do your 21-day run. Yeah. Okay. So, so my patients go to some of the common um, chain pharmacies in South Africa, and they buy a 1,000-unit vitamin D. And I prefer that they take it beforehand. So I, I tell them, take one of those, you know, of the long term daily. But the moment that you get COVID, have another bottle on hand. And then you whack five of those a day. Vitamin D is a rock star. We've seen studies from Italy. We've seen studies studies from the U.S. People that arrive at ICU, your older, vulnerable patient, those that have high vitamin D serum levels survive better. They just do. So one of the effects of COVID um, is 
clotting. It, it, That's right. It has a, a very interesting and not quite clear effect on stalling, uh, on, on clotting profiles. Either that the patients bleed or they form microclots. Dante, for instance, mm. had an adverse reaction, almost like an autoimmune, um, hemophilia. And he literally just started bleeding out of his tissue. Um, this was COVID. So talk to us about, um, anticoagulants. Okay. So most, all my patients with COVID, they take, uh, 300 and 20, 330 milligrams of aspirin per day. That's absolutely essential. But your doctor, especially if you're slightly higher risk, you over the age of 35, you've got some comorbid conditions, um, your doctor must test the blood clotting measurement tool. It's called the D-dimer, especially when you get to third phase of illness. You know, when you get closer to day eight, day 10, 11, round about there. So that they can see that you not that patient who said, oh, I'm feeling okay, and then suddenly your, your toes are blue. Yeah. And you fall over because you're getting clots in your lungs. So then the doctors sometimes replace the aspirin with something called Echotrin, which is a lotus aspirin in combination with a blood thinner. Now, there's a whole host of blood thinners. Zeralto is one that you mentioned here today. There are others, um, but your doctor must then make a decision and act on that. And you will be on that blood thinner only for 30 days. Then you're done. And it's, it's ironic. You feel horrible because you're sick, but you technically shouldn't lie down the whole day and sit in a chair the mm. whole day because that's another problem is now people are not moving yes. and that increases risk as well. Absolutely. All our people that are sitting behind desk or on the couch with a laptop on their, on their laps. Checking uh, out Dr. Google the whole day. Just um, <laughs> be aware that um, sitting and not walking and going to get your coffee uh, or walking to a vending machine will increase your uh, risk of uh, DVTs in the legs. Yeah, that's it. That's um, it. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Anton, in a nutshell, COVID, uh, COVID ivermectin, the studies points to safety. Um, the dose is easy to get uh, right. It's per weight. Um, it's a legal drug. We can get it from, from our GPs that can prescribe it, mm-hmm. which you can then go to your pharmacy and collect it. The fluid that, um, patients are rubbing onto their tummies that they got from, um, Wimyani, but, um, and Messina, um, met Tarantalabur. <laughs> I'm so glad. This is a very Be important very question. Careful. We have to say something about this quickly. So, so I know that who knows? Maybe we've got a few farmers that listen to the Cliff Central podcast, and they're far away. You, 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 you are remote. You've only got the fluid in your home. Um, so I'm going to say the following: Don't rub it on. Um, yes, there is absorption when you rub it on, and yes, you could potentially kill some parasites over the long term if you rub it on. But we're not dealing with a, a, an aggressive virus here. So if you have absolutely nothing else, then some of those products actually have, are quite pure. They're pure, pure, pure ivermectin. Some. 
son. And, and, and this be is very the clear now. about so, that. Yeah, because this is the, very few of them actually are clear. Yeah, they've got, they've got additives. So rather phone your local doctor because, I mean, how remote can you be these days? No, phone, exactly. Phone yes. the doctor on the dorp and get him to prescribe. Get that pharmacy to get you the tablets. Um, yes, I, have I seen patients survive COVID with fluid ivermectin? Yes, but they drank it. They didn't mm. rub it on. And that's why that's another part of the disinformation because doctors in the hospitals are now seeing people. They said they took ivermectin. They didn't take it. They rubbed it on. Yeah. So, but if they take it in the right dosage, then, but, but now it's a Pandora's box because which product did you take? Um, is it one of the pure ones? Is it one with additives? I don't know. So rather phone the pharmacy on the door and get your doctor to get you the tablets. Okay. So, Anton, um, wonderful to have you. If you need to, um, get ivermectin. If you want to have more information, um, you can get hold of us at the T Clinic. The website's there. Anton, how do we get hold of you? Oh, just I, I think Facebook's the best, Doctor Anton. On Facebook, I've got a. I use Facebook as a public information. Um, it's platform. great. I use it. Yeah. So just Doctor Anton on Facebook or Twitter, actually. Okay. Fabulous, guys. It's been wonderful. Great show today. Thank you very much. And remember, Be you safe. Absolutely be safe, mask up, do all the right things, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one. The T Health Show, medical lifestyle show.